I want to dive in. Today we are in the last part of our series, You Asked For It. Now, this is, I love this series because really I'm answering questions that you've asked. Uh, over the last four weeks, I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, the series and really getting some answers to questions that you have. Um, and that's, that's really what it's been about. You took a survey at Easter. For those of you that are new, our church took a survey at Easter. And I took the top responses on topics that they wanted to hear more about. And we build this message series. And so today is really answering a question that wasn't a surprise to me. Uh, it, it was something that I really thought you would ask, and you did, and want more uh, information and knowledge about, and I'm glad you did, because the truth is, I'm happy to answer this question. Uh, and so the title of the message is, Help, I'm Strapped. Anybody ever, and I'm not talking about like carrying, some of you are like, yo, I'm strapped. No, no, no. I, ain't talking, I know we live in Texas. I'm not talking about the gun. I'm talking about finances. You know what I'm talking about? So someone said, well, what do you mean? Well, help, I don't have enough. Anybody ever felt like you didn't have enough? Enough what? Anything. <laughs> Food, money, gas, all of it. All the above. And, and so today, I want to help answer the question of, hey, how, how do I get more than enough? Like, like, what, what do I have to do to not live my life in this way? So, so here's a question. How many of you, at, at some point in your life, you've ever felt financial stress? Raise your hand. Any point in your life, you felt a little bit of financial pressure, financial stress, and uh, you know what we realize in today's environment. And I would probably say those of you that didn't raise your hand, you felt it as well. Many of you are feeling it right now. It's it's a big part of your life, and 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 what we've learned to do is we've learned to cope with financial stress. Uh, it's become a normal part of life, and if you think about this. We've got to ask the question, if it's become so normal, why is financial stress a normal part of our life? Why, why do we feel financial stress? And when you answer that question, the truth is you feel it because you, you don't have enough to pay your bills. You don't have enough to buy the groceries or the gas. And, and really, when we answer that question, what we realize is that most people live paycheck to paycheck. That's really the problem. It's, it's that we're just barely making it. Like I get paid and I've already spent what I got paid and, and I'm waiting. Has anybody gotten to, to, to like the, we get paid the first and the 15th and it's like the 23rd. You're like, oh, good Lord, let seven days pass quickly. You know what I'm talking about? Like we eating Raymond for the rest of this week, baby, don't spend nothing. How many have ever screenshotted your bank account and told your wife, don't spend nothing? That, that's what's in there. I'm not lying. I'm not fibbing. I don't have hidden money. This is what's really in the bank account. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, them are real problems. We, got, we, we understand. And, and what we have to understand is that it's not a poor person problem. See, sometimes you can say, well, that's what poor people do. It's not a middle class problem. A lot of people in middle class in here, and it's not a rich people problem. There are rich people up in here too. And, and, and so someone said, well, is it a poor? Is it a middle class? Is it rich? It's an everybody problem. I mean, you think, well, rich people don't have that problem. No, rich people are cash poor. All their money's up in investments. They, they, they look rich, but how I many know they ain't always financially rich? And so what we understand is it doesn't matter if you feel, and, and here's what I would preface too. When we say poor, someone would say, well, they, they would qualify me as poor. But if you make more than $24,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. In the world. You may not feel rich, but how I many know you in the world's eyes, you are rich. 
And so, so you may not have what everybody else has, but look, you got a house and a place to live. You got a car. Most of the world don't even have cars. And so we just have to recognize that it's not just limited to the class that we associate with, but there is a real problem. In fact, one statistic says that 78% of working class people who have a full-time job, 78% of people who have a full-time job, they live paycheck to paycheck. 78%. So imagine 78% of our church lives paycheck to paycheck if the statistic holds true. That's where this burden for this message, when you asked help, I'm strapped, how do I, I love today because I think it's going to set some of you free. You've been living like that 78%, and my goal today is that you walk out of here with the tools that you have to use, but if used, you could break free from the 78%. Look, you have to understand, even though debt is normal, Worry is normal. Anxiety is normal. Fear and stress, it's all a normal part of life. We must understand, though it's normal, it's not healthy. Like, I know people learn how to cope with things that are not healthy, but we don't want to cope as Christians. How I many know we want to live differently? I don't want to live like the rest of the world. I don't want to learn how to cope with financial stress because really what we understand is financial stress causes tension in all of my relationships every relationship that I have, especially in marriages. Look, if you're married, uh, they, they said the statistics when I was looking this up, they said that most marital fights are over money. Most. Money. So, so what do you mean? Like money's tight. Like, hey, baby, don't go buy this. And the husband will say, well, you're always spending money. And she's like, well, I just spend a little bit here. You never, and, and you're like, well, I never spend money as the man. I only, you know, every once in a while, she says, yeah, every once in a while you buy something big like a truck. You know what I mean? Like, man, we don't buy a lot of stuff, but we buy the big things. Like, what? I thought we were broke. You went and got a truck? How'd we do that? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Someone's like, see, he's talking to you, pastor. I thought we was broke. And it's these married, like, like okay, but, I, you know, I can spend this, you can spend, and, and, and we end up fighting. In fact, one statistic said the number two reason for divorces is money, and it's only second to infidelity. Think about that. So we got some money problems that we as Christians, we've got to learn how to deal with. We shouldn't have the same problems as the world has. And that's what today is all about. I want to give you some tools to help us not live the way the world lives. We want to live differently. And so we say, what's the solution? If I'm going to break out of this statistic, if I'm going to break out of the cycle, the, the solution is simple, but it's not easy. The solution is we've got to learn to create margin in our life. I didn't get too many amens on that, but that's what we have to do. We have to learn to create margin in our life, especially financial margin. So what is margin? Margin is the amount that's available beyond what's necessary. So it's what's available beyond what's necessary. So someone said, well, explain this whole margin thing to me. What's well, the difference between what you have and what you need? And so let me give you an example. Look, on, on the screen, they, they've got the example. here. It's just real simple, just to make sure you, you get it. If, if you make $60,000 a year, you get paid $5,000 a month. Would everybody agree with that? So I'd say, you know, that's a pretty fair wage, $60,000 a year, $5,000 a month. So if I make $5,000 a month and I spend $4,500 a month, how much do I have every month left over? Say it again. I'm, if not, it's a trick question. It's actually up there, isn't it? Come on, that's what we would call a margin. 
So then the margin that I have is $500 a month. Now let's say I make $5,000 a month and I spend $5,000 a month. How much is left over? So how much margin do I have? And this is where most people live. We spend everything that comes in, whether we have to or not, it's what's happening in our life. And then the third scenario, and this is, this is one that's really problematic. I make 5,000 a month, but I'm spending 5,500 a month. How much margin do I have? I got negative 500, which means now I don't have enough to cover what I'm spending. I'm actually going into debt. And so most people live in these last two scenarios. We're barely making it because we spend everything or we're going into debt. The worst thing we could do is add things to our credit cards. Like we're going out to eat dinner. What are you paying with? A credit card. It's a terrible, terrible way to live. We've got to make sure we build margin in our lives in this world. So we got to say, look, I'm going I'm to build margin. Now, what's it look like in an everyday life? When we have margin, we see what it's like with numbers. Margin means you've got some money left over. That means by the end of the month, it's already come and gone, and you still got money in the BOA account, Bank of America. Come on, somebody. You're like, there's some money right there. Praise God. That's, that's what margin looks like. Margin looks like you've got money to help anybody who's in need. Like someone says, hey, can you spot me 20? When you are broke, you're like, yo, bro, go get a J-O-B. Right? But when you got margin, you're like, well, okay, man, I'll give you 20. And, you know, I'll spot you on this or I'll help you. And maybe you buy someone's groceries. See, what I'm convinced of, the church is not stingy. The church is broke. And when I say the church, like Anchor Ben's not broke. We're not, but, but the body of Christ at large, the people that go to church. See, some people, what I've seen with pastors is they berate their people and say, look, I need you to give more. I need you to do more. I need you to be more generous. I don't think people are generous. I just think they're broke. I don't think they have anything to give. And if they did, they would. And that's what margin allows me to do. A margin allows me to give and not have stress as to whether or not I'm going to meet my bills. Why? Because there's money that's left over. Margin actually buys me more of my time. So, so let me give you an example. When you got margin, you got money left over. I can pay someone to cut my grass. Now, I know some of you, you may like to cut grass. I don't know if you really like it or if you're just broke, right? Come on, somebody. It's like, well, I really like it. No, you don't. You ain't got money to pay someone to cut your grass. For me, I, I love to do things, but cutting grass is not one of them. Come on, I'm going to pay someone to cut my grass. Why? Because it saves me a couple of hours a week that I could spend time with my kids. Think about this. When you got margin, you can actually pay someone to help you clean the house. Well, I just love cleaning the house. I don't think I've ever met a woman who said, I just love, I love deep cleaning. Like all that deep cleaning, I just love it. It is awesome. No, no. If you could pay for a, a, a house cleaner, I mean, no, you probably pay for one. But why can't you? Because you don't have, you know, a margin. And so think about washing your car. Whatever scenario you want to put in there, when you have margin, you can buy or redeem back your time. And so that's, that's the beauty of the way we live when we live with margin. And, and see, I don't believe God wants us to live just barely making it. God doesn't want us to live broke. God wants us to have more than enough. And so my goal this morning is to help you believe and know that God wants you to live your life with margin. Say that with me. Say, God wants me to live with margin. Say it again. God wants me to live with margin. He wants you to live with margin. He wants you to have more than enough. 
See, the challenge is you can believe this lie like I'm just going to barely make it. I'm just, woe is me. Look, you may be broke when you get saved, and that's because you've been operating in the world system. But how many know when you've been a believer, when you've been in God's word, when you've been studying his promises, we ought to reflect the blessings of God. We ought to be a people, and this is what I've realized. Look, if you're broke, you can't bless the world. If a church is broke, it can't bless the world. The reason we can impact the world, the reason we can impact this nation, the reason we can impact this region like we do is because this church ain't broke. There's money that God has blessed us with. There's a blessing of God in our life. And so we must understand the blessing is more than just about you. It's about the world that God has placed you in. And God wants you to live with margin. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, look at it, it says, in the house of the wise, everybody say wise. wise, there are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. So think about that. In the house of the wise, there's what? Margin. In the house of the wise, there's what? There's more than enough. In the house of the wise, there's food and choice oils. There's, there's, there's not just barely making it, hoping and wishing. No, no, no. There is more than enough. And my concern is that many of you have never experienced this level. You've never experienced the more than enough. You've never experienced what a wise man experiences. But then look at what it says. The foolish person, the house of a fool, they don't have enough. And so what I would say is it's like this. They literally live paycheck to paycheck, spending all that they have. That's what the Bible says about a foolish person. And, and here's what's very interesting about this verse. When you study the verse and even if you're just looking at it, it doesn't say in the house of the wealthy is margin. Wow. Well, I thought rich people had margin. Hmm. No, that's not what it said. It said in the house of a Wise person, okay. So, but it also doesn't say in the house of a two-income two earner family, there's margin. No, 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 it didn't say that. It says in the house of the wise. So it doesn't say in the house of someone that makes six figures, there is margin. No, no, it says in the house of the wise. And so we've got to reject the lie. The lie is this, I'll have margin when I make more money. Look, that's why it's not a poor thing. It's not a middle-class thing. It's not a rich thing. It doesn't matter about how much money you make. The question is, are you a wise steward of the resources God gives you? And that's where we have to be. Yeah, that's a good place to clap right there. Come on. Thank you, Phyllis. Because that's the lie, right? The lie is, I'll get it when, I'll get it if. And the truth is, it never said that. It said, where, and this is what I believe, wherever you find yourself this morning, wherever you associate your class of finances, you can become wise and have margin. And that's what we've got to learn is that I've got to operate in this right now because if I can do it now, I'll do it then. Because that's really the lie, right, is if I make more money, I can have more margin. But that's just simply not the truth. We've got to be wise stewards. So if you're wise in managing your money now, you'll be wise when you get more. If you're foolish in managing your money now, you'll be foolish when you get more. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, great gain. He didn't say a little gain. He didn't say just some gain. He said what? Great gain. Everybody say great gain. Great 
great gain. So, so what he's saying is contentment is a big deal. It's, it's important for me to be content wherever I'm at in my life. And look at verse 7. It says, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So what he's talking about is contentment. And the challenge is most people are never content with what they have. They always want, I just want a little bit, just a little bit. So, so contentment, what is contentment? Contentment is satisfied. That wherever you're at, you are satisfied. Now, there, I'm not, and, and listen to me, I, I, I was raised as an entrepreneur, man. I, I, I love the fact that we have a church full of business owners and, and people that are go-getters and sales reps and realtors and people that are commission-based and, and, and they're out there hustling and you'd say they're on their grind. You know, I get it. I'm not saying go be lazy. What I'm saying is to be satisfied fully with what I have while I continue to press on for more. Realizing that if I never get more, I'm still satisfied right here. There's got to be this contentment that's in my heart because there's great gain to this contentment thing. Like if I'm content, then what happens is I can break the cycle of this more, more, more. I need more. I need more. No, no, no. We've got to learn to be content satisfied with what we have. Look at what it actually says in verse nine. People who wanna get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money, for the love of money. How many know money is not evil? It says what? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Look, money's just a tool. Someone said, so that's why I don't advocate for some poverty gospel. God wants you broke. No, baby, money's a tool. You can't change the world broke. But the challenge is you cannot fall in love with money so much that your gain and your, your pursuit is all about the gain of money. Like my pursuit is to bring glory to God. And as he blesses me, I'm going to give as he is directed. So look, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Look, money's not evil. It's not. It's a tool. And, and you got to hear me. I want you to hear me. I'm not telling you God doesn't want you blessed. God wants you blessed. God wants you to live with more than enough. God wants you to have everything that you need and then some left over to bless the world. But don't fall into the trap of pursuing money for your own gain. And then it says, look, they fall into griefs. They fall into griefs. What kind of grief? Do these people fall into? They fall into debt. I mean, that's a grief that you can fall into. When you want more stuff, how many know you're just going to go further into debt? How many know you can fall into some stress, some financial stress? All you're doing is pursuing more and financial pressure. And here's the challenge with people that are pursuing money like the Bible talks about is they're unable to enjoy what they actually have right now because they're always pursuing more. You can't even enjoy it. So, so you're on this pursuit and you're so hungry for more, you don't enjoy the blessings that God has given you in your own life. And so many of us, this is what we do. We trade margin for things that won't last. So what do you mean? That means we change or we trade flexibility. That's what margin gives us. Peace, that's what margin gives us. Security, that's what margin gives us. We trade all of that for more things that will never last and will never satisfy us. You have to go back to the, the question, why? Why would we do this? 
Why is it so normal for, for people to do? Like this is the rat race that the world has found themselves in. And the reason is, is because the world is pursuing what it calls happiness. It's the pursuit of happiness. It's this, I, I, I just need something to fill this void on the inside of me. See, God put a void on the inside of every person. The Bible says that he has set eternity in the hearts of man. What does that mean? There's a place in your heart that not money, not a better house, not a better car, not more stuff. It'll never fill it. The only thing that'll fill it is God. And so happiness is trying to fill it with other things. And here's the truth. Listen, you get your nice house, you get the nice car. There is a sense of satisfaction for about 30 days. Because then you got to pay the mortgage. Come on, somebody. I think you got to pay that car note because you didn't pay cash for it. You, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying that financing things is wrong. Look, I financed my house. I financed my car. But I am telling you that we're striving for a better way to live. So we're not going to pursue what the, the world says is happiness. In fact, our culture defines happiness as more than what I currently have. It's just more than what I have. So we, I'm going to get happy when I get whatever else I don't have. I'm wanting something else. I'm wanting something more. And when I get it, I'll be satisfied. But the truth is you're not. Look, and, and, and the world perpetuates this, right? Go buy. Look, you deserve. Look, you got to raise. You're making more money. You deserve the brand new house in the right subdivision. Right, and so we go max out the 42%. You know, if you, if you bought a house, what's my debt to income? 42%. Nobody sits back and says, well, what can I buy with 25% of my income? I mean, come on, somebody. I mean, Steve's in the mortgage business and all my realtors in here. No, no, what's the first thing we do? Well, how much house can I buy? Like, give me the biggest and the best on my 42%, I'm a, and I'm going to max it out, like every dollar. Like, how can I discount it? Because why? Because we want more, and, and, and the world validates that. Think about the brand-new car. you got a car that runs well. It may be four or five years old, but you ain't got no problems with it. It probably has 100,000 miles on. It doesn't matter. But now someone said, look, you got that new job, the new promotion. You deserve. I, no, this is what I said. I deserve that brand-new car, right? I've been driving around this beater. I want something nice. I want something new. You, you, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, I deserve it. I, I deserve the brand new iPhone, even though it only has a couple extra pixels on the camera. And it, I mean, it's only $1,200. I mean, that's normal to spend, right? I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, have you thought about how ridiculous that is? We're spending $1,200. Oh, but no, we, I, I, we don't even spend $1,200 for, for $25 a month for the rest of your life. You can have an iPhone. You can't even afford it. And then they put you on this lifetime upgrade plan. So they're going to trap you for the rest of your life to upgrade to a phone when the iPhone 6 worked just fine. And, and, but do you understand? So the world celebrates it and they find a way. Why? Because they're creating a consumer mentality. God's not trying to create a consumer mentality. He's trying to raise up disciples. And disciples are set apart, and we can't fall trapped or entrapped by the culture's standards. And, and really what we see is that we have lifestyled our way past margin. As our money increases, our lifestyle increases. And, and so we get this bump, and we go here. We get this, and so we just continue to lifestyle our way past margin. And it's not even a money problem, and it's, it's not even an income problem, and it's not even a lifestyle problem. Really what we have is we have a spiritual problem. 
Like, th- th- that's where we have to go back to the root. We are spiritual beings. And so, you know, if you're in a self-help seminar, they're going to tell you some natural ways, some things you can do. This is what you've got to, if you'll do this, that'll work. And that's awesome. Those are practical tools. But really, you came to church, which tells me you want to hear what God has to say about it. We want to go a little bit deeper than what the world would say because we know God has the answer to our problem. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. This is Jesus talking. Look, don't store for yourselves treasures on this earth. Look, don't go buy all the latest, greatest gadgets. Don't do that. He says, look, moth and rust, they're going to destroy it. So, so I don't want you to do that. So, so Jesus is saying the opposite of what the world tells us happiness is. Like, go get more. Jesus said, don't get more, get less. Like, 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 don't make that investment. It's a terrible investment. And then look at what he says in verse 20. But store for yourselves treasures in? In? In heaven. So not in earth, but in heaven. So look, don't try to get rich on, in this earth, but try to make sure that you're posturing yourself so that you're making deposits into heaven's account. And that's my responsibility as your pastor. I got to constantly be saying, look, keep an eye on eternity because it's fleeting and it will pass away. And there will be a day when we spend all of eternity with God and the way we lived our life on this earth will determine the rewards we receive in heaven. It's a fact. So there's going to be two judgments. One judgment is what did you do with Jesus? That's salvation. Do I go to heaven or do I go to hell? The other judgment is the judgment of what did you do with your life? What did you do with what I gave you, what I entrusted to you? And then what based on that, the Bible says that that if we built with hay and straw and stubble, we're going to escape the flames just as a man escaping a fire. But everything we built will be burned up. But if we invested in the right things, we're going to have treasure in heaven. And so my job is to say, look, we got to have an eye on eternity. Look towards heaven. There is more for us to live for than the things of this world. Look at verse 21. Here's an interesting verse. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. also." Now, notice that it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Did you see that? So when people read this verse, that's what they interpret in your mind. If you're not careful, you'll say, well, wherever my heart is, that's where my treasure is going to be. No, no, no. That's not what it says. It says, where your treasure is, Your heart follows. So what does that mean? Wherever I'm investing my resources, and and for us, the way we have resources, for most of us, is money. So wherever I spend my money, my heart follows. You got to get this. You got to understand this. And and, and the challenge today, and Barna did some statistics as, okay, let's look at it. Let's look where the church, the body of Christ, invests their money. And according to Barna, only 2% of a believer's income goes back to God. 2% do people invest back into heaven. And and when we say heaven, it's the local church. It's it's the expression of God's church. And so out of all 100% of most people's income, they typically on average give about 2% back to God, which means 98% goes back to the world. 98%. So if this verse is true, it's not about where my heart is, my money goes. It's about where my money goes, my heart goes. So I wonder if that's why we have people that come to church but don't really care about the vision of what God's doing in that church. Don't really care if, if the lost are being saved. 
I mean, you care, but you're not invested. It's like, well, that's awesome. Good job. You know, don't really care about getting involved in some of the things that are happening, some of the dream teamers and, and, and some of the events and some of what's taking place. Maybe that's why we have a church in general in the United States that doesn't really concern themselves with making disciples. Why? It's not because they don't have an affinity towards God. It's not because they don't love God. The challenge is they're not invested in the things of God. They're not invested. See, we care about what we're invested in. So I remember about eight, nine years ago when I first moved to Houston, Phyllis and I, uh, we moved here and I started dabbling in some stocks. Anybody ever do any stock brokering and trading? And, you know, I mean, it's, it's very interesting, very volatile, but, uh, you know, we played around and I, I had some money. It was a lot of money to me in that time. And I started to invest in certain businesses and corporations and actually did pretty good. And then all of a sudden I put, I kind of went all in on this one company called Ford. Uh, Ford at that time was seeing some incredible growth. I hadn't checked it lately because I don't have stock. So, but back then I, I remember investing in, in this company called Ford, which most of you drive Ford products. And, and, and when I invested the money, look, before this, I never even looked at Ford stock prices. But when I invested in Ford, guess what? When I got up, I looked at the Ford stock price. When I got ready to go to bed, I wanted to see what the stock market did. Why? Because I'm invested in it. I began to watch news, and guess what I was looking for? Does Ford have any announcements? Because if they've got announcements, that means my stock's going to go up if it's good. Have they had anything bad happen? Because if something bad happens, the stock goes down. So I'm watching the news. I'm, look, I'm spending my time and my energy watching this company because I'm invested. And I even took it a step further. I bought a couple of Ford cars. Why would you do it? Because I need those sales to go up, baby. Come on, somebody. Right? I care about what I'm invested in. And so I wonder if sometimes we don't care. We don't have, and, and I, when I say care, I mean the deep passion. I, I don't think anybody in here doesn't care about God. But care should drive us to action. It should take time and energy, like, like there should be some exchange of my life when I really care for something, and, and I wonder if maybe that's why, because we come in, we go out, but we, we, we don't do anything financially to invest in what God calls us to invest in. And maybe there are some of you here, look, and you're part of the dream team, and you, you do serve each and every week, but you find yourself drawn back to the lust and the passions of the world. I wonder if it's because you're part of that 2% giving to God, and the 98% goes to the world. So you're doing some of the right things, but you're not focused in the right way. And so the world has this constant draw and this lure of, I need more, I need more. I mean, remember, we got to remember, it's a spiritual problem. And so we, we, we have to understand where we are making the investments in our life. And look, here's what I know too. I want to get a little bit deeper than just the obvious. So when we're talking about margin, you guys are super smart. Like there's not a doubt in my mind. I mean, there are some of you that are financial geniuses. You're way more intelligent than me in finances. And, and so for me to come in here <clears throat> and to give you this solution, I mean, here's the simple solution. This will save you thousands at seminars. Spend less, make more. That's margin, right? That's simple, right? You can do either one or you can do both. Spend less, make more. You're going to build up margin. But if it was that simple, then people would be able to do it. 
It's not just that simple. Those are the natural things, but we, we're not just a physical being. We're not just a soulish being, but how many know we're spiritual beings? And so there is a deeper root to our problem that we have to address. And, and so I'm going to go to that root right now. If, if we realize that it's a deeper challenge that we understand in our head, you got to spend less and make more, either one or both. We get it. Pastor, what's the real problem? The problem is people are not putting God first in their life. That's the problem. That's the deeper root challenge is that we've got to put God first in our life. If we don't do this, none of it will work. Why? Because we are selfish to the core. It is all about us. And there will be this lust for more just like it's in the world. And look at what Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first what? God's kingdom. So what's that mean? That means God's way of doing things. So I, so I got to find out, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So I, I've got to seek first the way he would do it. I got to seek first his method. I got to seek first his principles. And then I, I, after I understand how God operates, look at what it says. Then he's going to add all these things to me. How does it happen? Got to seek his way. What's God's way? When we're talking about building margin, when we're talking about having blessings in our life, Matthew 6, 21, remember it said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So we realize that part of this journey has to do with finances at some level. So how do we put God first in our life? I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to show you. We put God first in our life through tithes. Tithes. Can I get a better amen than that? Tithing. So that, now, this is the point, listen, there's always a point in the message where I believe God's going to shift some things in people's lives. This is that point. So if you're new to church, which we've, hundreds of people have given their life to Christ, just this, look, you've never been around church, you're going to go, aha, this makes sense, it's awesome. You've never heard this principle, so you just get ready, because God's going to rock your world, and you're going to understand, you're going to be like, man, that's awesome. But then there are some of you, you've been around church your whole life. Some of you, it's been good experiences. Some of it's not been good experience. And so what I'm about to tell you, you could sit back and say, oh, well, I got that. Well, okay, listen with fresh ears, and let's see what God might speak to us in his word. I want to go to Malachi chapter 3. And if you're a Christian, you've been around, you know what Malachi chapter 3 is all about. Anybody know what it's about? It's about tithes. Because that's the verse that all pastors use, right? All pastors say, you know, give to God. You're robbing if you don't. And, and I'm going to get to that part, but what I want to do, I'm actually not even going to talk about that part, but I want to show you something that you probably didn't have that person share about before. And it's in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. So you, you have to understand the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is all about returning back, returning back to fathers, returning back. Well, Malachi chapter 3 is about returning back to God. So, so Malachi's talking, look, and, and God's using him to be his mouthpiece. Look at what he says. So the people of God have drifted away from God. And Malachi says this, as the Lord speaking, says, I, the Lord, I do not change. What's that mean? I'm consistent. Yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to shift. I'm the same. He said, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So in other words, look, 
God's not the priority. So in other words, they've, they've turned their backs on God. So in other words, God is not first in their life. There was a time when the people of God, God was in the first place. God was their priority. God was first. But now they're living in a time in the people's lives where God's not first in their life. And so he's saying, look, return to me. Okay, so God's not first in their life. He says, I'm gonna make you first, return back to me. Everybody got that? So, so I want you to return back to me. And then he says, when you come back to me, I'm gonna go back to you. I'm gonna return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? So I'm gonna put God first in my life, but they're asking God, look, we want, we're gonna put God first, but tell us, God, tell us how to return back to you in our life. Now, if you ask that question today, think about it. If someone said, how do I return back to God? I've drifted away. God's not first in my life. Most of you and the spiritual answer would be go pray, right? You want to get closer to God? You want to go pray. Like, like just go get on your knees and say, God, that's not what he says here. Some of you might even say you want to get closer to God, go to church, like, hey, let's go to church. Like, God's in the place. I'm going to return back, God. Let me go back to the place where you're at. But here's the challenge. Those are not the right answer. So God is talking about return back to me, put me in first place as a priority, and now he's going to talk about it. How do you return? He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are you robbing me? And he says this, in your tithes and in your offering. So think about this posturing my life with God at the center as God in the first place has everything to do with the way I invest his resources. Isn't that the challenge? But, but look, it makes sense because we just read the verse that where your treasure is, your heart is there. So see, the challenge is people have been trying to come back to God by religious acts, but not the way he has directed us because he knows money represents the value of our life. That's the, like, oh. See, we bought a lie that says, look, and here's the lie that we buy all the time. Well, all that church wants is your money. Well, if the devil can sell that into people's lives, then he can keep people from putting God first in their life. Wow. Wow. And so, and, and listen, if you're new here, we don't pass offering plates and buckets. You're not going to get fleeced at the end of this message. Just chill out. <laughs> you want to give, you have to go and intentionally give. But doesn't that make sense why there would be a lie that's been perpetuated? Now, listen, there are churches that abuse that. This ain't one of them. And if you think it is, you shouldn't go here. Go somewhere else. Like there. But how many know this is a place where God's presence is, where he manages all that happens. And so we can't buy the lie. So here's what you got to be careful of. You can be physically present and relationally distant. So, so what do I mean? So you keep coming week after week and praise God. Listen, I want you to come because if you're here, God can speak to you. But you're like, God, I, I believe I'm saved. But, but there's relational distance. And it's because we're not allowing our heart to be led by where we invest. So, we, so it's like, I'm, I'm just going to casually let the world suck the money out and the resources when I should be intentional. And as I'm intentional, I'm going to fall more in love with God, more in love with the things of God, more in love with the church of God, more in love with reaching people. Why? Because my heart follows where my investments are. 
So look, here, here's what you got to be careful. Listen, I know we have almost 400 dream teamers that serve each and every You can even be on the dream team. You could be doing all the right things and God not have all of your heart. So we got to be real careful in the way that we look at the stewardship of the money and the resources that God has given. So if we look at that, then we need to understand a little bit more about tithes and offerings, don't we? So let's continue to read. Now, this is what most of you have heard is Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe. Everybody said the whole tithe. So for those of you that are new to church, tithe means a tenth. So a whole tithe would be the whole 10%. Now, tithing is based on the principle of first. So we give back to God the first 10% of all of our increase. So if you gross $2,000 a week, when you get paid, the moment you get paid, you give back to God the first 200 of that 2,000. That's giving God the first 10% or a tithe. So you do it in any way. You do it through mail-in chat. I, I text to give. We got paid yesterday, and I text. The first expense that I did, I text to give. And so you give God the first 10% of whatever it is that he blesses you with. And so that's what tithing is all about. And then look at what it says, into the storehouse. So here's what you have to know, too. When he talks about storehouse, he's not talking about just a charitable organization. Storehouse here is where you get fed. It's your church. It's the place where you worship. And so you, some of you, maybe you're like, well, I just kind of divvy it up. I give, I give 10%, but I give 5% here, 3% here, 2%. No, no. The Bible didn't say we divvy it up. Go send it there and do this and a portion to your storehouse. It said we give the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's God's church. So how do you make the investment in heaven? You give to God's church. You give where you're being fed. And if this is not your church, you wouldn't give here. But if this is your church, this would be considered your storehouse and your place where you're getting fed. It says, and then there may be food in my house. That's the system God created. So when you give, the church is able to function and to operate and to bless the world around. It's an amazing system that God sets up. But it's not just for the storehouse or the church. He says, look, test me in this. Try me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you'll not have room enough to contain it. So not only does tithing position God first in my life, tithing actually opens the windows of heaven in your life. So now you can live a blessed life. The windows of heaven are open. See, I mean, I, I hear people all the time say, I started tithing. And some of them, man, God will send a check in the mail. They got a raise. Things begin to happen. And a lot of it is financial. But I'm not going to tell you every time the blessing of God comes, it's financial. What happens when the windows of heaven are open, my marriage is blessed, my home is blessed, my health is blessed, my life is blessed. Oh, and my finances are blessed. It's every area of my life as I submit it to God it now becomes blessed. So tithing has a benefit. So it's tithing that unlocks the blessings of God in my life. See, when I'm blessed, I can build margin in my life. See, you've been telling me that you're living paycheck to paycheck, barely making it, going in debt. Look, when you're blessed, how many know there is more than enough? There's margin in my life. And the challenge is some of you are trying to build a life that's blessed without the God that blesses. God bless me but he's not at the center. 
God, help me. And some of you, this is where you've gotten mad at God. You're not tithing and you're mad that God's not providing. The challenge is this, the key to your margin, the key to more than enough, God placed it back in your hands. Some of you are telling God to do his job. He's telling you to do yours. Oh, God, help. No, no, he wants to help you. But you have to do what he's required. See, that's the thing of the Bible. See, we can't make this stuff up. You can't can't just change it because culture doesn't like it. We got to go back to the truth of God's word. We're in church. You got to say, God, what is your principle for me to build a life that's blessed? How do I get the God of heaven to bless my life? Here's the challenge. We don't give God the first 10%. We give it to Visa and MasterCard and American Express. You know what I'm talking about. You get your check, that's the first. You pay it off to your mortgage company. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you pay it off to Old Navy, which they're building over here in Brazos Town Center. What's up? Like, it's, like you go and you give Old Navy, you, you give it to Amazon. We ain't even got to leave the house, somebody. We just write, write, give Amazon my first and my best. Maybe it's Apple. Here's the challenge. Those things don't have the power to bless your life. So we give to something that has no power. We give to this organization that all they're doing is creating consumers. They want more. They want more. And and instead, we're being robbed of the blessing that God has made available for each and every one of us. And then we wonder why we're not blessed. We're not blessed. And and if you do it at the end, how many know there's never 10% left over? How many of you have ever tried that? I mean, you ever tried that? You're like, all right, man, we're going to tithe this month, but you pay them all out. You're like, woo, we, we're not tithing this month. God must not want me to tithe because there is not enough. How many know there is never enough? Why? Because the devil has a foothold in your finances and he will devour everything. Why? Because you don't have the blessing of God. Here's the other challenge. Some of you come in and you tip God. 20 here, a couple hundred here. And I don't know, everybody else, that's like, whoo, that's a lot. Maybe it's a thousand here and there. I I don't know. I don't even care. Look, if you're tipping God, praise God. Keep tipping God because we're going to use your money to invest and make a difference in this world. Praise God. But you got to know this. God's bigger and better than just a tip. I mean, he's not some waiter in the sky that's here to serve us. And if he does good, we're going to wholly tip him. No, no. He's worthy of what? Everything. See, see, we've made it about this lie that the church just wants your money. No, 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 no. The devil doesn't want you blessed. God's trying to set some people free up in here. And, and you've got to recognize you are the key. You're the key to the blessing of God in your life. You're not a victim. Sometimes you get, oh, whoa, is it? no, no, we're not victims. We're victors. So we got to grab God's word and say, God, I'm going to apply your word in my life. And you're worthy of everything. But here's the cool part. He only asked us for the first 10%. And think about it. He gave you breath in your lungs. He gave you health in your body. He gave you a mind that can think and reason and act. He put wisdom in your life. How dare us say that's my money? I don't see anywhere in the Bible where we say that's my money. The Bible tells me everything I have is a steward. I'm stewarding it. That's why we hold it. I love my house, but if God wants my house, I'll go live in a shack. Why? Because I'm just a steward. That's why we got to get out of this rat race of more and more. The reason you need more is because you're not content because God's not in the center. When God is at the center, now I'm not telling you it solves every problem. You still got to have discipline. But the discontentment you're feeling 
is that that God-shaped hole is not filled. Happiness is what you pursue when God's not at the center. Joy, the Bible says, comes in the presence of the Lord. And joy happens regardless of my circumstances or my situations. And that's what we want is we want the joy of God in my life. And the only way we do it is we've got to put our treasures in the right place. And the Bible says our heart follows. Heart follows. And here's the thing. I think this is what you have to know. God's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to get something to you. See, if you think God is just this mean ogre up in the... No, no. He's trying to find ways to bless you. He's trying to help you live the life he's called you to live. And, and so we have to have this paradigm shift. And, and I hear you. Look, even making this message and creating and, and working on it for weeks, what I felt... I don't know why I'm getting so emotional. I think it's just because of the pain. But listen, I felt people saying, man, I'm just barely making it. In fact, pastor, I'm not even making it. Like, it's hard. Like, like if you just knew, and here's the thing, I do know. I've lived in that place. And, and so the mentality is, how dare you, pastor? How, how in the world could you? Ask me to give more. And, and here's the thing. You're asking me just to give to this church. See, it's all this. Fl- no, no. It ain't, it ain't, no, no. We don't pass plates. Nobody's going to ask you to give anything. You're going to talk to God. And what I felt like we have to have is a paradigm shift. So, so here's the thing. What, 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 has to under- what we have to understand is it's counterintuitive what I'm telling you. See, God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So when I say counterintuitive, it's like if I do this. So here's the thing that I, I felt the pain. So if I tithe before I pay my bills, I mean, you just don't even know. It's not even going to work. It's like, what's going to happen? Like, pastor, what you going to do? I ain't going to do nothing. You know why? Because it's not my word that's being tested. It's God's. He said, test me, prove me, try me. See if I not flood open the windows of heaven. So it's God's word. We're testing God. We're trying God. We're proving God. And there's got to be this paradigm shift. You can't allow the lie of the enemy to cause you to live in defeat. It, it's kind of like I started this keto diet. This whole, I don't know if it's a fad. Does anybody know about keto? So keto, yeah, woo, woo. So I started about two or three weeks ago. And it's a very interesting diet. So they've been talking to me about it for a long time. And, and you know, I was a little bit concerned about starting it. And I'm running out of time. That's what I was looking at. But I, I just want you but about three months ago, I started it, and, and it's a weird diet because it goes against what we've been trained. So in life, you know, since a little kid, how many know you've been taught eat low-fat, high-protein diet? So we're eating, you know, low-fat stuff, but I can eat grains, and I can eat oatmeal, and I, you know, you kind of have, I can eat, drink Diet Cokes, anybody? Any, any kind of Coke Zero? It's awesome. And then you go to this keto deal, and what keto's all about is a high-fat, mid-protein, and low-carb. And so you're like, well, you're telling me to eat fat, and I've been taught my whole life not to eat fat. And so I remember wrestling with this for just a couple months. I mean, Phyllis and I talked about it. I'm like, man, are you kidding? So because so you read it, you're like, hey, instead of using this low-calorie butter, use this lard. <laughs> That's what you want to cook with. Just how much? However much you want. 
And so we're going to eat grilled chicken. And instead of eating rice and pasta noodles with it, I'll just put cheese on it and throw you some slabs of bacon. I said slabs. Like, just throw the bacon on there. Right? I'm like, they told me bacon would kill me, give me a heart attack. I guess I'd rather have a heart attack skinny than fat. So at least I'm going to look good with a heart attack. So y'all, y'all come to my funeral. It's going to be good. And so you're, you're just thinking, like, this don't even make sense. Like, instead of coffee creamer that's like a zero sugar, but do you know those coffee creamers have like four carbs in them? And, 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 and the aspartame and the things they use actually in Diet Coke and Coke Zero, they actually inhibit weight loss. So, so you're drinking a Diet Coke because it's better than Coke, but it actually causes you not to lose weight. It shuts your system down in such a way you won't even lose weight. So the solution they've given you is causing you not to experience what you've always wanted. And I got to a point where I'm like, look, I'm getting pretty chunky, I'm getting fluffy, and it ain't even Christmas. Like, I don't have to wear a Santa hat, I don't have to do all that. So, so I'm going to try something that doesn't make sense because I'm desperate for something that will help me look and feel better. And I mean, within, within a week, I lost five pounds. I mean, just crazy. I mean, bacon, slabs of bacon, half and half in my coffee. Half and half is like all fat. But I'm like, whoop, putting butter, just butter in ranch. Like I was taught to stay away from ranch. Oh no, baby, you just eat everything with ranch. It's, and I'm losing weight. And look at all the weight that I've lost in the last room. What's the point? I had to do what I was trained was wrong to experience the breakthrough I'd always wanted. So here's, some of you have been taught your whole life. The responsible thing to do is to pay your bills first. How's it working? How's that going in your life? Like, I, was just, I just got tired of being fat. I was so tired of it. I just said, look, man, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And so here's the deal. If you find yourself in this place, and, and I know I'm not speaking to everybody, but if you find yourself in that place where you're tired of living the way you've been taught, I'm not telling you, I'm not advocating don't pay your bills. What I'm telling you is that God is going to stretch that 90% farther than you ever imagined possible, and every bill will be paid on time. I can't tell you, I've been tithing since I was 11 years old, 10 years old, ever since I ever made a dollar. My parents gave me money. They taught us this. And there have been seasons where I'm like, God, this don't even make sense. But I'm always going to put you for, and man, money would come in the mail. A debt would be canceled. Something happened. I got three emails this week about, one of them was a lady that said, Pastor, a couple years, you talked about it. And when I started, it got harder, not easier, but I've stayed faithful. And I want you to know, Pastor, that in my life, even in the tight seasons, when I didn't have enough money, God paid every bill and there was always something left over. Always. That's the faith walk of a Christian. That's the faith walk. And of course, you got to manage your money. Well, those are all the practical sides. But I believe God has done something on the, inside of your heart today. See, so you got to reposition your life. It's not about just going to church. It's not about just serving on the dream team. It's not about just praying. Those things are good. But my question is, where has your heart been led? God, let's lead it back to you. Let's lead it back to you. I'm going to give back to you what belongs to you. Let me just pray over you. I believe some of you, you've been set free this morning. You, your life has been radically changed. You're going to step into a new year as a new person. And it's because of the truth and the power of God's word. Father, I pray this morning that you move in their hearts. Every person in this place, God, I know you birthed this message just for our people, your people. And God, I pray that the veil would have just been taken off of our eyes. 
maybe some lies that we have believed that have kept us from experience what you want us to experience. God, that they've been exposed. The enemy has been exposed. And God, for some, many, this is just a reaffirmation of what they're already doing. God, don't let us drift. Don't let us go away. God, let us stay on the right path even if it gets tough. And God, for those that maybe they've never heard this or maybe they started this way and have been led a different way, God, I pray that there would be a repentance because really, and I'm speaking to you, repentance is just, God, I repent. In fact, it was interesting. Thursday, I was preparing for this message and there was a business owner that walked into my office and it was like five o'clock and he said, Pastor, what you doing? I said, well, I'm wrapping up my message. And he said, oh, that's it's something awesome. He said, what are you talking about? And I started to share some of this message. And he said, oh, Pastor, I got to just repent and apologize to you. He said, you know, I'm, I'm a business owner. Business has been blowing up and we're expanding. He said, he said, but the truth is I was tithing and then I stopped tithing. And he said, Pastor, just right now, you saying that, I just, I want to repent to you. And here's what I told him. You don't have to repent to me. It ain't about me, baby. Like, like, I appreciate you saying that. But you just repent to God. And when we repent to God, what we do is we say, God, forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for my path uh, that I took. Some of it was intentional. Some of it was unintentional. Either way, God, I repent from that. Now I'm going to turn to a new path. What's that mean? That means from this moment on, this, this second, when we leave this door, any increase, God, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to give it to the right place. We're going we're gonna to give it into the investment of heaven so that our heart follows. So I'm repenting. I'm changing my ways. That's what repentance is. And some of you, I really feel you need to just repent to God. Just talk to him. You don't have to confess to me or anybody. Nobody's looking. Nobody, nobody checks what you're giving. Which, it's just a heart thing. It's just God. God, I just, right now, God, I, I, I'm asking Forgive me. God, forgive us. Lord, any area of our life that has been led astray, any area of our life, God, we submit it to you. We are the body of Christ. We're the church. Help us, Lord, to reflect you and your beauty and your glory. We thank you for that. His presence is in this place. I feel it so strong. Thank you, God. In fact, just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. There's some of you in this place. We're talking about returning back to God but you've never turned to God before in your life. This is your moment. We, we really believe at the end of service, God has prepared people's hearts that, that in this moment, you can begin a relationship with him. Some of you have come to this place, and if I were to ask you if you had a relationship with God, you'd have to say no. Maybe you know about him, maybe you don't, but the truth is you don't have a relationship with him, and you'd actually say something like, God is distant. I don't, I don't feel like he's close. And that's an accurate assessment because the Bible says that sin is what separates us from him. And we as people, we were born in sin. Sin is wrong decisions. It's, it's when we don't make right choices. We miss the mark. And, and the standard for a relationship with God is perfection. He is a holy God and he demands perfection. Holiness righteousness, all the things that we don't have. But thank God he had a rescue plan. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, all God, all man, to come to this earth to live a sinless life for 33 years and to give his life for us. And because he did that, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. 
We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift from God. So what that means is you'll never be good enough for eternity and heaven. You'll never be good enough for God by yourself. You can't work good enough things to be there. You have to receive the gift of salvation. How do you do it? You just say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. And I'm going to pray a prayer of surrender, a prayer of salvation. And I believe there's some of you here this morning, you want to pray that with me. And you're ready this morning. Right now, God, I'm ready to surrender my life to you. It's not been working. I need you. I want to give you everything in this moment. If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand quickly? Just right now in this place, I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Just raise it up. Nobody's looking. Amen. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Just God, I'm ready to surrender right now all of my life to you giving you control. Come on, church, tell them how proud you are of them this morning. So let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I surrender everything to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wipe away my sin. Forgive me of my past. Right now, I give you everything. I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. I give you my future. I give all my life to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, worship God this morning.